today is the 24th day of this session. It has been a thrilling experience getting to know and being introduced to 30 alternative holistic and democratic learning spaces selected from all over the country where innovative topics, informative content and progressive ideas are being shared with all of us. We remain hopeful. Not only this, the previous ones and the remaining ones will inspire all of us to bring about some possible changes in our school community to a new direction of development. Once again, good evening, friends. This is Asha Mishra moderating the event for today evening. A little about myself, friends. I belong to Jaipur. I've done my post-graduation long back in English literature. I've been in the education for last 30 years. Very recently superannuated from my school. I've had a lot of passion for training teachers and have been a resource person and a master trainer since 1995, working hand in hand with CBSC. Even today after my superannuation, I have been working regularly for the online sessions of CBSC. Friends, today we have Dr. Craig Ellen Cook, who's heading the Woodstock School, Missouri, as we have just seen the video. His topic today is essential practices for fearless educators in a time of uncertainty. An interesting topic. And we all know that, yes, at this moment, the phase that we are going through with COVID-19, it is definitely a phase of uncertainty with lots of questions in the mind of each one of us. Talking about Dr. Craig, he has graduated and post-graduated from California. His doctorate from Ateneo de Manila University in Philippines. Based on his successful dissertation, he was awarded John F. Doherty SJ Award for Social Justice. He has had an excellent experience of heading a school as superintendent with 130 staff and 700 students. This was with Faith Academy, Manila, Philippines. He has been and still is a regular athlete, a basketball player. From 2012 to 16, he has worked as deputy dean and high school principal at UPH University and high school in Jakarta, Indonesia, with about 15,000 students at high school and university. Since 2016 to 19, he was dean of the School of Education at Simpson University, Reading, California. Dr. Craig, a very warm welcome to you and namaskar to you on behalf of each one present over here. Over to you, Dr. Craig. Okay, namaskar, everybody. Good to see you. Asha, thank you so much for your 
generous introduction. Uh, just want to say uh, what a privilege it is to be with everybody today and look forward to our interaction. Uh, I really love what you're doing. I was able to look on the website and uh, just in thinking in a future way in terms of preparing future leaders and yet this moment uh, we need in a sense fearless leadership in these times of uncertainty. So I really uh, appreciate what uh, Future Ed Educators stands for in terms of innovation and in terms of practice and really looking at those issues in a fresh way. Uh, to the title uh, of today's session, these times we live in certainly do call us to be fearless in our practices, right? Because the whole world has been upended by this global pandemic. And it certainly calls for innovation and forward thinking. So I hope the tenor of my uh, talk today is along those lines. I am a sociologist by training. And so I've always come at education from a sociological lens. And uh, one of the key features of a sociological perspective is that you're able to locate your person, your biography within a larger structural component. And certainly education is a huge social structural phenomena in our age. And so how to navigate that I think is extremely important as we look ahead. Just personally speaking, I, I'm fifth generation of educators in Asia, going all the way back to my great great grandparents uh, and great grandparents and grandparents they were various ones of them in education in china for three generations and then my uh, father and mother were in the philippines so i spent 22 years in the philippines first in community development work in the south among a muslim minority population the Maguindanao. And then for four years, I was in Jakarta in between my time back in the United States. But here I find myself in India arriving in July of 2019, and then very quickly being thrust into addressing a global pandemic from a location uh, at Woodstock School in Missouri, northern India, uh, with a rich heritage, having educated students for 167 some years. So in this talk, what I'd like to discuss is first some concepts, some broader concepts, which have guided me during these uh, tenuous and uncertain times uh, that the global pandemic has caused, and then some very specific practical ways, and then we'll have some questions. Um, one of the key lessons I've learned from my discipline of sociology as an educator is the ability to stand outside of the system uh, this is a gift that the discipline of sociology gives anybody who wants to use it. Too often we get kind of bogged down in the weeds, so to speak, using a metaphor with the details and management. But sociologists call us to stand outside of the phenomena and look at it objectively, what's going on. And particularly in these uncertain times of global pandemic, one of the most helpful things I read was from a blogger named Andy Crouch. And the title of his article was, We Are All Startups Now. We Are All Startups Now. 
And what he was referring to is that no matter what your business is, no matter what your sector, you're going to have to rethink how you do whatever it is you do. So in education, that uh, is something that we had to think about right away. How are we going to adjust to this new reality? And the metaphor he used was one of a storm, particularly a blizzard. And he references in his blog the Spanish influenza pandemic from 1917 and 1918. And there he talked about the blizzard, which everybody understands is this global pandemic. But he said after that blizzard passes, after the storm passes, came what he calls a mini ice age, a mini ice age. Meaning that the way of functioning, the way of normalcy was absolutely overturned. And so how is it that we were going to adjust to a mini ice age? So I start with that in the sense of these times in which we live, these uncertain times, certainly have no room for, in a sense, a short-term complacency. Um, and as a school, we've been dealing with crisis contingency these last six months, when to send students home, when to go online, can we have a hybrid course, what are we going to do about the community health needs that surround us, how do we assist the community. All these are questions that really come out of contingency, that come out of crisis. So I think we, one of the things we've learned in standing outside is, is how do we use this crisis of pandemic for our own purposes, for our own good, to serve our own uh, learning needs in a sense. So one of the first things I did when I arrived uh, on campus, and I picked this up from a mentor of mine who happens to be an anthropologist. And uh, sorry, let me just segue into that. I, I, I never trained to be a teacher, never really wanted to be in education back to my family history. I kind of wanted to start my own thing, but then fell into it after I moved to Manila uh, from the South in Mindanao. And um, so my one of my mentors, an anthropologist uh, and uh, two anthropologists, actually Sherwood and Judy Lingenfelter, they suggested that I sit down with everybody in the community when I arrived here at Woodstock and ask them three questions. Uh, what are your hopes and dreams for Woodstock? Uh, what are your challenges? And how can I assist you in meeting those needs? So I think this is a key lesson, whether it's in uncertain times or not, is simply to listen and to learn, and then we can lead, right? You can't come in not knowing anything about a context culturally or otherwise organizationally without first listening and learning and then moving things forward. So that exercise actually helped me greatly in planning for the future and even planning for pandemic. I've, I've told our community of learners here, there are three things that have come out of that three questions that I ask, and it informs everything we do from who we hire and how we practice our education. And that is our environment, how to leverage our environment and be connected to our environment around us. Secondly, is to um, uh, increase our capacity for digital learning. And here we are, we find ourselves a year later in a global pandemic where we're highly reliant, as most other schools are, on the digital piece of learning. And then the third piece has been the interdisciplinary spaces. 
how do we connect the natural world with the unnatural world of the digital digital world? And something I've often said to our students and, and staff, we are all cyborgs now. If you look at the definition of a cyborg, it's the combination and integration of the human with the technological. It's not a question of if, if we're cyborgs, it's a matter of what kind of cyborgs we wanna be in that sense. And so trying to think ahead in that and anticipate what that will look like makes you ask new questions. So this blizzard and mini ice age is the metaphor that I've used for the community to help us try to navigate the new. I've often said education is an inherently conservative project. Right now, what do I mean by that? Conservatism in its simplest form means no change. Oftentimes we're teaching what was in the past and bringing it to today, but rarely do we really try to anticipate the future. And so here is an opportunity of a crisis of a pandemic, a disruption, if you will, or a rupture that helps us bring education into the 21st century. I know at Woodstock, just our simple location, being up in the mountains of Missouri, being isolated, it's very easy to remain static and normal, if you will. So we're trying to use every opportunity of this crisis to move the community of lear learners into a new era. The other thing that's going on here at the macro level besides a pandemic because many of us have been thrust into the digital learning space, whether we liked it or not. And the language I've used around that is one of rationalization and modernization. And who I rely on for that is uh, one of the fathers of sociology, Max Weber, who talks about calculated rationality and that in the modern world, his greatest fear that we would become prisoners in the iron cage of rationality. And the loss that he was speaking of was a loss of magic, loss of enchantment. And I'm sure for all of us educators, whether current practitioners or future educators, this is one of the challenges with online distance education, is how do we re-enchant the world in an online format? Because when you're teaching a face-to-face -face class, no matter what culture you're a part of, you get to make magic with those students in that classroom. And it's exciting. And you have some incredible moments through one's teaching career with students as you pass on that knowledge. And again, back to the conservatism of education, right? It's a socialization project for all societies, no matter what culture you live in, to reproduce what's uh, what's important about your culture. So when we look at online education, it's very easy. And when I talk to teachers, when I talk to students, right, they're all burdened by it. Uh, yet it's this, because it's this highly calculated rationality, where is there room for uh, the magic to happen, so to speak, for meaning making, which is so important in education. So this is, I think, our challenge. How do we humanize the educational project in this era of hyper-rationalization of education systems. And this, this, this doesn't just go into online learning, this goes into all the educational structures 
that surround us from accrediting bodies, accrediting agencies. And I have to tell you, as a dean of the School of Education in California um, for some years, this is what all the deans in the School of Education are talking about. How do we bring that magic back? How do we not um, force everything into an Excel spreadsheet? So this is the challenge for us as educators to think outside of that. So ultimately, right, education is a human project, right? One of the schools I work for would say education as a bridge to relationships. And those relationships are with human beings. And so again, I think going forward, one of our biggest challenges is how do we change the system so that it meets the needs of both faculty, teachers, staff, and students, and those serving us in the community. But of course, there's tremendous pressure from all sides. We have pressure from parents, and this is practically what we faced when we uh, had to go online from March to May, is I don't have, my student doesn't have enough structure, right? And we didn't have enough time to train students into this is how you excel in online learning. So these are all the challenges that we, uh, we face going forward. So a few more uh, broad, uh, I would say theoretical components that help inform me in trying to be a fearless educator. One is the sociological imagination. And this carry has served me well throughout my uh, career. When we talk about the sociological imagination, this was what was coined by C. Wright Mills, uh, Columbia and Harvard uh, University professor of sociology in the 1950s. And what C. Wright Mills said is that we all have a location in the streams of history. So he called us to link our biography with our history, or in another sense, our private troubles with public issues. And here we have in this pandemic, an incredible opportunity to move education forward in innovation and creativity. Because we're much, much of the world is locked down or restricted or constrained in some way. So how do we use this to catch the streams as if you're in a river, and this is the analogy he used, you're located in a river and these streams are going by. So what are the key threads going by? Well, certainly dig the digital education piece, accessibility, equity, democratizing of knowledge, all these things are huge streams going by us right now. And so, as I said earlier, we can't afford to be complacent, to be conservative, and to only stay with the model that we have. But let me tell you, as you all know, all the pressures are to stay, to normalize, and some of it comes from fatigue because we're tired of the change. But these are the questions as a leader, as a fearless leader, I feel like you need to ask. How do we locate ourselves in the broader streams of history at this moment in time? What opportunities could we be seeing that are passing us by? The other one is structure and agency. Sociologists continue to look at human agency, the ability of humans to be creative, to innovate, and yet you also have these social structures that are firmly in place. Again, you have government policy, you have accrediting bodies, you have parents as a structure, you have students, even in this era of hyper-connectivity to technology, right? Why are we having the students teach us about technology, right? It's this flip that's occurred. So 
we saw this um, early on in uh, to be practical in this crisis with screen time. Many of our parents, I would say the majority of our parents wanted and asked for students to be online for eight to 10 hours a day. And here's where the fearless uh, leadership needs to come into play is that ultimately that's not sustainable. What we ended up doing is we were in our attempt to be responsive to parents, we did come up with a modified schedule, which gave students structure, but yet at the same time, students are still on uh, on the screen quite a bit. So we, practically speaking, we came up with 25 minute class periods, which was abbreviated. But these are the kinds of uh, structure agency issues that occur. Um, but you have to be open and responsive to listen in these times and not get stuck in your own model. And certainly uh, compromise has been a part of that. The other, uh, other tool I use from functionalism in sociology, which is really about seeing the part in the whole always. You always have to look at things holistically. Uh, you can't afford to just look at one thing down in the weeds. You have to see how it's tied to larger kinds of issues. So even as we transition to uh, online learning for us, in our case, um, how is that impacting the health of students? How is it impacting the health of staff, for example? How are learning outcomes being met? I had a conversation today to alleviate the amount of screen time. How do you get staff and faculty to migrate lessons that can achieve the same goals, but without the screen? So that's why, uh, again, part in the whole how to get people to understand um, that things can change and that you do have some agency and options uh, before you. Um, the other thing is uh, from symbolic interaction in sociology, we talk about role clarification and roles, right? Um, symbolic interaction is about the meanings we make as human beings. And so in education, we've for centuries had very clear roles. We have teachers, we have students, and there's a social order that's created there. Um, what I had to communicate is that, to our own community, is that we don't have, uh, or we don't need to operate by the industrial model any longer, especially in a digital age. The industrial model is exemplified, and actually a pastoral model too, out of agrarian society, is you have two semesters, you have a summer break, uh, even the way the day of the schedule is ordered, you have eight periods of day of this. But the reality is we live in a virtual space. And so all those old roles can be disrupted. I was in a conversation today even. Of course, you, you've, you've heard about silos and educational institutions siloing off. You have this department, that department. We're siloed by our disciplines. We're siloed by administration and faculty. But the reality is this crisis, this uncertain time has blurred the lines. And this is an incredible opportunity to embrace the blurring of those lines, whether it's in instructional technology, in hierarchies. And so I think that that's another question that we have to look at in terms of roles changing, right? We talk 
all uh, the last 10 years about flipped classrooms. Well, here's an opportunity to flip the classrooms in ways that enhance student learning. And I think uh, my best hope for that is that students will embrace that. So um, just the last few moments in terms of some practicality that we could uh, think about. Again, I mentioned responsiveness to the structure. And again, whether that's parents, whether it's your accrediting body, whether it's your curriculum, how to be, we be responsive. But it's very hard to move, to move this ship in the middle of everything. Practical things like why haven't we gone to an online class where everybody studies the pandemic from dis different disciplines, right? This is an incredibly rich interdisciplinary space where we could study uh, global pandemics from an epidemiological perspective, from a sociological perspective, from a cultural perspective, how different, from a political perspective, how different uh, governmental systems have responded to the crisis. It's just right for that. But how many, how many schools in the world are doing that? I could probably just name a few. And so uh, we miss that opportunity if we're not responsive. This also gives us tremendous uh, opportunity for change. Again, we, we think about synchronous versus asynchronous uh, learning in this context. How do we reformat our schedules? Again, let's, how do we be bold in, in changing these structures for the good of our students? because we don't know how long this pandemic is going to last. Another pr very practical point here is just prioritize relationships. To be a fearless educator in a time of uncertainty means that you've got to put people first. I know we had a tremendous amount of stress, stress uh, on our own hillside when uh, the pandemic first struck. People uh, in our school system are teaching from all over the parts of the world, different time zones. Some of them are making huge sacrifices to be able to teach synchronously at certain times of the day. Um, so you have to listen to your staff, to your teachers, and be responsive to them. Uh, ultimately, this again is a human project, whether we're working with students or working with our colleagues in the, in the educational system. Another practical point here in how to be a fearless educator is listen and be open to your parent community, right? There are partners in this. And this is another beautiful opportunity where we have to change the role in the 21st century digital age. I've had more parent interaction during this crisis, of course, than any other conventional time uh, where you have a one-off parent-teacher conference every quarter. Um, during the summer, we were constantly engaged as an administration with our parent community, trying to assuage their fears in terms of fee structures, in terms of lessons, in terms of deliverability of our education program in a new environment. So we've got to be able to make space to listen to parents and, and be partners in this, uh, even, even assisting them in parenting uh, as they work with their students that are still confined to their homes due to the lock, lockdown. Another thing is just uh, be bold and be unafraid of out-of-the-box thinking. 
one of the things we've had to, to look at is, uh, or, or are looking at is how do we, we've invested so much energy and time into online distance learning. Is there a way that we can capitalize that and broaden that reach in our student community to broaden our diversity in who we bring into the Woodstock community? So don't be afraid of out of the box thinking. Another key, key issue here, I think that's very hard to teach and maybe easier or just as hard to live out. And that's very difficult. And uh, after 28 years of living cross-culturally, right, I think this is one of the greatest gifts that cross-cultural living, when you place yourself in another culture, can give you. It's we always don't understand the symbol system that's at work in a different culture. And particularly in a postmodern era where symbols mean all kinds of things and there's so much accessibility to different symbols, they get taken out of their original cultural context. One has to be able to live with ambiguity to be effective. And certainly I think this is an unintended consequence for our generation of students that are living through this in times of learning. The ability to live with the unknown, to live with the unexpected, and to not be able to necessarily predict the future. And so, but yet we have to, we have to help our staff, our teachers, our communities understand what that means and to be comfortable with that. I probably have too, too heavy, uh, too much heavy doses of the ability to live with ambiguity in my life. But, but I think that's something that is important to be taught. And lastly, I'd just like to say uh, the issue of moral courage, right? One has to know oneself, one has to know their community, and, and one has to do their best to make decisions that are in the best interest of students always. And so when we think back to uh, when we closed school back in mid-March, and then five days later when we told our community that we would go online, um, for the rest of the semester. That was very difficult news to hear. Uh, when we told our community that we would be starting our school on online in August, that was very difficult to hear. When we told uh, the community in, in September, earlier this month, that we would continue through the semester online, that was very difficult to hear. Um, you have to know yourself. You have to know what your values are as a school, as a community, and as a leader and live by them. And in that say, sense, it frees you up to hold on to things because if you feel like you've made the right decision on behalf of students, on behalf of the community, then honestly, it doesn't matter what people say. It doesn't matter how many email chains you get from parents about whatever the issue would be. So ultimately, the courage to make the right decision, or I'd say moral courage, is what's essential for a fearless, fearless leader in this era in which we live. So thank you so much for listening and uh, I look forward to our time of interaction and questions. It's wonderful to be with you all. Thank you. Wonderful uh, things that you have told us and especially during the times of COVID, what all is uh, actually needed and how we all can think about introspect into it and see to it how we could 
manage this phase of us, a difficult phase which is going along with us. So we have questions now. The first question, should we make a world or country full of leaders if it requires to have only leaders? Hmm. Good question. Um, I think the more leaders we have, the better, and the more training of leaders we have, the better. So certainly there's the old axiom that too many cooks in the kitchen spoil the broth. Yes. So <laughs> yes. that, that's certainly true. On the other hand, I remember reading one of the leadership books in the Marines in the US, when Marines are out on patrol, they rotate leadership every certain amount of time. I don't know, maybe 20 minutes, maybe an hour. I'll have to go back and read that book. And the idea there is that everybody has an opportunity to lead in a group of 18 people, say. And I, I, I like that model more than the axiom of too many cooks in the kitchen spoil the broth. And I've said that to our staff here as well at Woodstock. It's like, we're all leaders. If you're an educator, you're a leader. And it also speaks to the role adjustment that, that I talked about earlier. Role change, right? It's all based on context. Certainly when I walk onto the Woodstock campus, I'm seen as a leader. Uh, but I'm in different context where I'm a learner. And so life is full of this interchange between following and leading and for me, I would want my organization and the world itself to be trained in leadership, what it takes. Because ultimately, just like when teaching, we learn, same with we, when leading, we also learn. And so um, I wouldn't be afraid at all of uh, giving the tools to as many people as uh, possible in terms of how to lead, because there's always going to be context in which you can bring uh, bring forth your leadership, whether it's formal or informal. And that's another piece, right? There is formal leadership, but there's also informal leadership. And even as leaders, we have to pay attention in our school communities to the informal leaders that are on campus that may not have the title, but they're certainly thought leaders or they're political leaders that we need to engage with and listen to, so. Thank you, sir. So that means even in the field of education, as we all belong to, each one of us has the responsibility of creating as many leaders as possible. Mm -hmm. So the next question goes in, what ethics should we develop to be a true leader? Mm. Good question. Um, a couple things come to mind. Um, I, I like to use the word development, right? And so as leaders and as teachers, we ultimately our goal is to develop others, simply put, right? To develop others, to have their interest at heart in leading. And so that's one ethic is how are you serving your constituency, in this case, your students, or in some cases, I like what I heard once about principals or heads of school, is that you're still a teacher, even though you're no longer in the conventional classroom, 
It's just that your audience has changed. Now you're leading the adults in the school community. And so there's an ethic of development that's necessary to always be in the interest of the other, always to serve them with whatever knowledge or skills you're giving as a way to serve them. So, you know, for me in uh, community development work in the South of the Philippines, this could mean uh, in terms of language, you know, I, there's a, the, the national language, but there's also the minority language. And in a sense, if you're doing literacy work there with an impoverished people group, how do you serve them for their greater interest, which may or may not be connected to the larger cultural system? So that's this, that development question. Another ethic I would say is sacrifice. To me, that's first and foremost. Really to be a leader means that there's got to be an ethic of sacrifice in how you practice your leadership in a community. Um, you've got to be able to give up. You've got to be able to listen. You know, one of those sacrifices, practically speaking, is your emotions. How do you, um, you know, sometimes things are said in a public forum that may not be very kind. And it would be very easy to get angry, to react. And in a sense, as a leader, we're called to turn the other cheek uh, when that happens and to, uh, to give of oneself and to listen to that feedback, no matter how difficult the criticism may be. So I think one of sacrifice, and that goes all along with the developmental piece that I mentioned earlier. Yes, sir. Yeah. So, sir, with the, the different uh, ethics that we say, like uh, the qualities which we expect, honesty, justice, sacrifice, as you said, respect, yeah. integrity. Uh, if we have to actually sum up, we could also say that uh, ethical leaders, they need to create an appropriate behavior a work culture and establish zero tolerance, zero tolerance uh, needed for ethical violation. Somewhere or the other, zero tolerance is something which is very important when we talk of ethics. So mm -hmm. I believe that is something that should be a takeaway for all of us. Sir. Sure. So the next question comes in as, as an educationalist, Mm -hmm. How can we incorporate the element of discipline and values in virtual teaching and learning? Because of COVID-19, at this stage, the entire country and in fact, rather the entire world is uh, simply based on virtual teaching and learning. Mm -hmm. So, this, uh, so looking to this particular phase, how mm -hmm. do we incorporate the element of discipline and values? Mm. Good question. Um, well, one way I think is even through our, our bodies and teaching good practice with what we do with our bodies, right? It's very difficult when we spend eight hours, 10 hours on a screen, even as administrators, uh, I'm in Zoom meetings all the time. Uh, there's a bodily, bodily discipline that's necessary. And so we have to both model and train our students in this. So I was in a staff meeting today and uh, I loved what the teachers did. They had the students get up in the middle of it and just move around for two minutes, right? In a sense to wake up their brains and to, to just to, to move around and not be stuck on the screen. 
how many of us have had you know health issues either shoulder or eyes going bad so so one it starts with the bodily discipline taking care of yourself um and the other thing is uh like i mentioned earlier the issue of a structure of a schedule i think is a way to instill discipline even it was very easy for me because I, I have taught online for 16 years in higher education. And it was very easy for me to say, just go asynchronous, but not paying attention to the student population. They're a lot younger all the way up through senior in high school. And so coming up with a structure that enhances the student learning while not being overbearing with them, I think is another way to instill the discipline. Uh, that's necessary. You'll get up at eight o'clock, just like regularly and have that class, even though it's shorter. And so I think that's one way. The other thing is um, values in terms of virtual teaching and learning, right? We've told students that it's, uh, you know, even before the pandemic, in the era of social media, it's very easy to be anonymous and to think that you're not accountable to a larger community. So this is something that we've had to stress and I think the most necessary thing going forward is more and more digital citizenship, if you will, how to be a good citizen online. Um, I know uh, the philosopher Anthony Kwame Apaya, he asked the question in a globalizing society, and how do I love my neighbor in a globalizing society when we all can experience the same global phenomena at the same time? And it's a tough question. How do I care for my neighbor uh, a million miles away or my neighbor right here? And in a digital age, it blows everything up, right? It blows up all the categories. And so how do I love my neighbor in a sense in this, this time? And I think honestly, back to the conservatism of education, I think we're woefully behind in developing curriculum that addresses issues of digital citizenship how to how to be a good neighbor whether i'm online or face to face so i think that's our challenge going forward yes sir definitely sir and uh, this uh, the point that you make good citizen online in global city i uh, in in a global society i think uh, that is something very important for us to understand if I have to sum up uh, all that you have said, sir, I would like to say ethical leadership is about walking walk as much, walking the walk as much as it is about talking the talk. Mm -hmm. So that is how we could sum up uh, all about um, what you have said, sir. So we have the presenter for today, our second speaker, Ms. Uh, uh, Sunita Swaraj. Great. We welcome you, ma'am. And uh, the question before is, what are the best practices that you have seen in leaders during times of uncertainty? How did this foster community and trust during challenges? So this is the question, ma'am. Over to you, Madam Sunita. Thank you. Thank you, Asha ji. Uh, Craig, it, it was just lovely listening to you and it took me back to Woodstock. My daughter, elder daughter, studied from Woodstock. Oh, great. Wonderful. She's now in Northeastern University. Oh, uh, 
and yeah. I could I could relate to everything that you said, and mm-hmm. you know the, uh, the video really took me there. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. nice. thank you so much. Very good. I, and it has been wonderful attending the sessions uh, that uh, future school leaders have been uh, really. Uh, it's 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 overwhelming, you know. Listening to so many uh, school leaders, there's so much that everybody is doing. I think as a teacher, every school leader once upon a time had been a teacher, and every teacher is always, you know, a teacher is always a teacher, whether he become gets from a position of a school leader mm-hmm. or whatever. So um, at this point in time, I think uh, it just came on our face. Mm, right. Like it was just there. We had to begin the session, and uh, it was right there, and we didn't know. So uh, I think the the changes that I have seen in educators, as you mm-hmm. rightly said, that uh, Asha ma'am, uh, the question was that again, uh, if there'll be so many leaders. Then how do we manage? And Greg, your answer is too many cooks spoil the broth. I I personally believe that every child is a leader. Yes. Everybody is a leader now. Whether this child becomes an educator or tomorrow he takes up uh, maybe uh, some business or anything, you know, in his own task, every child is a business, uh, is a leader. So we need leaders. In in fact, you know, India, no, I would say world needs leaders. <laughs> With the current scenario, uh, you know, wherein I mean, uh, do the voters have a choice today? I mean, in any of the countries, I mean, it has been difficult. So right. I think I, as a school leader, and I've been talking to uh, many school leaders, and uh, the one thing that everybody is really uh, started talking about is uh, no one has all the answers. Mm, right. You know, so uh, let's be available to each other, be open to learning and sharing. That is a big change. A big shift that I've seen during this time. As leaders, we started looking at crisis, mistakes very differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all had SOPs to take care of earthquake, to take care of different things. But we never have had any kind of plans for this. It was just there, and we had mm-hmm. to handle it. And I think the schools have handled handled it so beautifully. Right. The teachers have really, they've, they've failed us. Yeah, yeah, Shana. But Sorry to intervene. Uh, do we actually, I mean, the question could go to the Dr. Craig also, that uh, do we actually feel that we should have leaders or should it be that it should be leadership qualities that we emphasize upon, be it uh, uh, housekeeping person in the school or be it uh, a just a messenger of the school or a student of any class or anybody. So is it being a leader or is it the leadership? I think somebody from the uh, audience also has put up the same thing. So Dr. Craig, could you highlight something on that? Sure. I mean, yeah, no, I think it's leadership qualities. Exactly. I think that's what you want in everybody, no matter no matter who, who they are, or what their formal role is. 
that's why I talked a little bit about formal roles versus informal roles. I want everybody in my my school to be a leader, you know, uh, and ha have the. I mean, informal leader having the leadership qualities underneath that. So absolutely. So uh, Asha ji, I would say that in our school we actually don't have those formal roles in heritage. Mm -hmm. we, we, you know, we function like this. Mm -hmm. We don't go. Uh, there's no hierarchy out here. Mm -hmm. So it goes. It goes to our student council also similarly. You know, they also follow the same trend. Mm -hmm. So I believe that a person is a leader, and what we need to do is. We need to instill those leadership qualities for them to be a better leader tomorrow. For them to, uh, for them to lead a beautiful life tomorrow. You know, anybody who's leading a beautiful life is also a leader. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yes, they have to be prepared to face all the challenges of life. They have to be prepared to do it. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, very importantly, what I uh, fo we've been focusing on, and I've seen today, you know, uh, a lot of school leaders are really getting into working agreements, norms of collaboration. You know, they're wanting to collaborate with each other. I think this virtual learning has really opened up. Mm -hmm. opened opened up the minds of people mm -hmm. because my school is doing very well why should i show this to anybody else you know why should i share it with anybody else right, but right. Today, i think today i think the opportunities the sharings are all around you absolutely on you how much you want to pick up right there's so much of learning around you there's so right. much of sharing that is happening this right. would have not happened in another 10 years from here mm -hmm. Right. And I have really imagined so much of learning that I personally also have gone through during this time. These 30 master classes and many, 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 many such master classes all around. So, uh, you know, there's so much of learning. So, if the world has actually opened up now. Right. So, that is one big thing that has really happened to the current, uh, you yeah. know, with the current. Even if we talk about our teachers, ma'am, as you're talking about uh, this uh, virtual teaching and learning, our teachers were very comfortable when they were in their classes. They were face to face with their students. But now, with this COVID 19, every teacher of ours is able to reach to every, so many families, is able to reach to everybody's house. You know, and it's not merely the uh, student who's observing that teacher, but even the parents are sitting along with the child. So, just imagine a teacher who was actually catering to only 40 students. Now it is almost like she has reached to 40 families in one go. So, right. a, I mean, imagine the leadership quality, the confidence that we've been, though we, COVID-19 has given us so many setbacks, but something to learn if we have to take back. We could talk about digital learning and then we could talk about the leadership qualities that we could say that again, those teachers have become so confident that uh, now facing so many people together in one go has uh, the biggest, which used to be a big challenge is now uh, so easy for them. Right. So, so yeah. I, I personally believe, you know, there were uh, a lot of teachers in my school who were not at all tech savvy. Mm -hmm. 
you know how they did was uh, they actually one teacher who knew something recorded it and shared with the entire community mm -hmm. and that way they learned from each other there's so much you know they did right. the collaboration and we uh, in our school we have we don't our children don't sit in rows they uh, they uh, work in uh, crews then right. group work so right. what the first question was will we continue in crews i said why not because zoom is such a big blessing that uh, it has those breakout rooms sure every crew goes and you know they work so right. uh, transparency is something that is really Uh, yeah. Come up in a big way. Transparency of communication to the parents and everything. Right. Nothing is to be hidden. Earlier, right. if a parent wants to come and sit in the class, it used to be a big thing for a teacher. Right. Right. Today, every parent is sitting in the class. Exactly. Well, and that's why I actually think the line I said earlier about blurring. There's blurring of lines, blurring of roles. We have to take advantage of that blurring. It's the old system is no longer there. And it's also equalizing, and it gives access to people that wouldn't. I remember when I went from teaching in the classroom to administration. All of a sudden, I, I this is before the internet. I started getting all this um, like resources, like magazines, Education Week, or whatever. And it's like, wow! I would think my first year. I remember, why didn't I get this as a teacher? This is really good stuff. But see, and now it's it's there for everybody. It's accessible, and so. We need to facilitate it, uh, to hoard it. So yes. So one very beautiful thing that has happened uh, is with the most marginalized and at-risk children. You mm -hmm. know, we have twenty-five percent EWS children in our school, which mm -hmm. is like you know they don't have a smartphone, they don't have a you know a, a internet uh, coverage. So what has happened is our student council came together and they, you know, they donated, they brought things together, and my teacher is taking a special class for this child on Sunday evening, or uh, you know, when the phone is available with the child, father comes back or somewhere he goes to the neighbor and asks for a one-hour phone, you know. So we we could really reach out to every single child. Mm -hmm. So that is some that is beautiful. Otherwise, in school. It is so difficult to take up support classes and all of this. So yeah, yeah. So. individualized everything. Everything has been individualized. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, ma'am. Yeah. It was a wonderful session, ma'am. Sunita, ma'am, thank you so much. Doctor Craig, thank you thank so you. much. Thank you. And the participants, thanks a lot. Uh, future school leaders for giving us this opportunity of. learning from each other sharing with each other thanks a lot to them thank you so much thank you everyone thank you, thank you aisha thank you greg i'll see you soon yeah thanks nice to meet you yeah thank you everybody thank you yeah thank you